Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1, and we'll kind of start there in terms of this first session. Then I'm going to lead again us in prayer. So let's go to the Lord and ask for his help. Father in heaven, we again bow in your presence and acknowledge that there is only one true God, the God who made us, the God who saves us, the God who watches over us, guides us, takes care of us. And now we ask you, Lord, to manifest your kind mercy and grace to us. We are always in desperate need of your grace. And we know, Lord, that you are a God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we plead, Lord, that you again would show your favor, give to us what we could never give to ourselves, Give your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to help us to learn, and more importantly, to put what we learn into practice. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. The subject of friendship is an important one. I don't think anyone would disagree with me on that issue. But it is huge, and whole books have been written on it. More recently, in fact, books have been coming off the press on the subject of friendship, which suggests there's a problem. And there is. And the good thing is, the best of books, the Bible, addresses the subject quite frequently. Someone has even called the Bible a book on friendship. By example, it teaches us by precept and by proverb. And to appreciate how important this subject is, Jesus talked about friendship on the last night of his life. He gave his disciples, you could say, a mini-sermon on friendship, and he references friendship three times. All the more reason to study friendship. Jesus never majored on minors. And he lets us know that friendship is costly. Greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends. But there's another reason why we should study this matter of friendship. It's crucial or vital to the well-being of your body and your soul. You've probably heard it, maybe not, but there is what more are saying, a loneliness epidemic. There's even businesses now in the UK where you can rent a friend. And someone might quickly add, well, I have a hundred Facebook friends, sorry, digital friendships are nice, but they typically are not deep. As one person put it, friendship today looks more like a cruise ship filled with lots of nice people on board when it should look more like a submarine holding a few and going down deep. And thankfully, Jesus takes up the concept of friendship, and he goes down deep. And so let me show you why, from the Bible, why friendship is not a luxury, but a necessity from a biblical perspective. Here's the three points. I'm sure you have them in your outline. We need friends in light of the gracious gift of creation. We need friends in light of the negative impact of the fall. And we need friends in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where we want to go, a more of a broad 
uh, perspective, a mountaintop perspective on friendships. Number one, we need friends in light of the gracious gift of creation. The more you live, at least I found this to be my experience, the more I live, the more the book of Genesis becomes a mainstay. In other words, we need to go back again and again and again to the foundations or the bedrock of understanding who God is and who we are. And the very first verse in the Bible gets us introduced to God, God the Creator. Genesis 1, verse 1, notice, in the beginning God, and we soon learn that God speaks, He communicates and brings everything into existence by His creative word. God is a communicator. God speaks. Theologians have used the Latin uh, terminology ex nihilo, out of nothing. God creates something out of nothing. And if we follow the chronology of Genesis 1, there are six days of creation, one day of rest, that explains the seven-day week and why it's embedded into human psyche. Day one, lights. Day two, sea and sky. Day three, land. By the end of day four, you have everything in place. You have the land, the sea, the firmament, but there's no life. And God could have stopped there, but God being true to who he is, the God of life, puts his creative power and design to work, and he fills the oceans and the seas with jellyfish and swordfish and whales and octopus he fills the firmament with amazing variety and diversity, birds that fly, soar and swim, Canadian geese that squawk, big-eyed owls, hummingbirds, hawks, eagles, brown sparrows, red cardinals, blue jays, yellow finches. On the sixth day, he creates the animal kingdom. Worms that slither and ants that crawl and fat hippos that waddle and elephants that stomp and kangaroos that jump and lions that roar. The earth is teeming with life, endless variety and diversity, and it was all good. All good. The good God makes a perfectly good world. But the best is yet to come. On the sixth day, that's the final day, God makes man. Man is the apex. Man is the crown jewel. Man is the climax of creation. He's the masterpiece, fearfully and wonderfully made, says the psalmist. And the key word to understand who we are from a Genesis perspective is that word image, or likeness. We are made in the image of God. Now, some think that there's the first hint here of, of the Trinity. Let us, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and may go day. Dr. Sam Waldron it says everything that makes man man is involved in being in the image of God. That's a question I've asked for what? 35 years since I've been in the ministry, what, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It, it always expands. It, it always gets bigger for me. The fact that you can talk, think, evaluate, 
distinguish right from wrong, the fact that man rules, exercises authority, the fact that you can love and hate, personality, rationality, self-awareness, and a desire and need for face-to-face engagement. All points to the fact that you are a creature fearfully made by God who images God by your speaking, by your hearing, by your listening, by your thinking, by your deliberating, by your evaluating, by your ruling, by your organizing, by your working and loving. If you look closely at Genesis 1 and 2, the story of the making of the man, there's a gender distinction, male and female, but there's also a chronological distinction. God creates man before he created the woman. Before the woman is made, there's an interlude or what you could call an intermission. God pushes the pause button. And we know from Genesis 2, verse 18, something's not quite right. Genesis 2, 18, if you look at the text, it's not good for man to be alone. There's something lacking, something incomplete in terms of man's image-bearing capacity. We go back to who God is. God is a relational being, a three-person God. And this alone time that Adam has serves God's purposes and helps Adam to realize he needs someone to help him understand his need. And God places Adam in the garden to care for it, and then he gives Adam a very unique calling, the naming of the animals. And Adam has this alone time. Adam experiences the ache of loneliness. It's one thing to tell someone you need friends. It's another thing for a person himself to realize, I need a friend. Dr. John Gurid, Old Testament professor in Jackson, Mississippi, says, the reason why God brings the animals before the man is so the man should realize his need for a partner. First, by naming the creatures, man becomes aware of his solitary state. No animal looked like him or acts like him. Secondly, certainly none of the beasts respond to the man as he calls out their names. There's no verbal communication. That's why Adam should have picked up something's wrong with with a talking snake. Animals don't talk. Finally, he sees that the animals are with others of their own kind. They have mates. He has none. And just as an observation, in terms of God's providence, sometimes God holds back his gifts to make us appreciate his gifts even more. A single guy who lives in a lonely apartment eating fast food Dinners and spending endless time watching television or playing video games soon experiences the ache of loneliness. And then Adam is put to sleep. 
And God extracts a rib and does what Adam would never have dreamed or imagined. God's full of surprises and God makes a woman. Equal, this is important, equal, made in the image of God, but not identical. And in her physical anatomy, she is uniquely made for man. She is made as he is made for intimacy. Even the body itself argues that point. The woman was made for the man. Not to compete, but complete. Not to compete, but to complete. To complement what was lacking in the man. Dr. Joel Beakey, in his book titled Friends and Lovers, Man's well-being depended on him having a companion who could come to his aid in time of need and unite with him in doing God's will in the world. He needed someone, meet, M-E-E-T, or suitable to who and what he was. This was a true friend, a wife friend, who makes him complete to help him fulfill those creational mandates And only a woman could help him, not a man. A man could help him build, but he could not help him fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. He needs a woman. But if you study your Bible, you should realize this concept. Now a friendship broadens, expands beyond the marriage relationship. A strong case could be made that men need men friends and women need women friends. A Ruth needs a Naomi, a Mary needs an Elizabeth, a David needs a Jonathan, even the Lord Jesus Christ needed friends. If there's anyone, anyone who could have walked it alone, it would have been Jesus. But he didn't walk it alone. And you and I need friends. How can you be sure? How can we be sure? Go back to the Garden of Eden. Visit paradise. In a perfect world, God's own pronouncement, all wise declaration, it's not good for man to be alone. And here's why it's not good. We're like God. We're to image God in our relationships in terms of Intimacy and unity. God is a three-person God. Dr. Tim Keller says this, the less you want friends, the less like God you are. That's a good quote, isn't it? The less you want friends, the less like God you are. That brings us to the second consideration. We need friends, not only in light of creation, but we also need friends in light of the negative impact of the fall. 
We see in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, the good God, the creator God, made everything good. Nothing was bad. Nothing was out of order. But when you come to Genesis 3, something's out of order. Something's not right. And the first hint that we have that something's not right is a talking snake. And just like God went to work to make everything good, the devil goes to work to make everything bad. And on one level, he succeeds. Genesis 3, unquestionably, is the ugliest chapter in the Bible. And you could say the best of friendship is sledgehammered, broken, severed, and that's the relationship with God. Genesis 3, 1 gives us the first ominous sight of the devil. He's more cunning than any beast of the field. And he uses the bait and the hook of temptation. He promises Eve a better life, a more fulfilled life. You will be like God. And Satan snags the woman, the mother of all living, and reels her in like an expert fisherman. And he has snagged a prize-winning fish. The Bible says Eve was deceived. And she becomes a transgressor. And Adam, it's worse for him. He, he knows what he's doing. Eyes wide open. But both of them make a wretched choice. And Adam's, listen to this, Adam's greatest gift, wife, friend, becomes Adam's idol of choice. That's one of the great dangers with any gift, any gift. We can easily turn the gift of God into an idol. God's greatest gifts become more important than God himself. Going back to the subject of friendship, here's the first warning about friends. Yes, you need them, you need them, but we must never idolize them. Yes, there are substantial rewards in a friendship, but there's also high-risk dangers. And you can't ignore the warnings in your Bible about friends. Proverbs 18, a man of many friends comes to ruin. Proverbs 22, verse 24, make no friendship with an angry man. Friendships can have a wonderful positive influence, but they can also have a negative influence. Friends can help you grow. They can help you mature but they can also help you sin and suffer. The question you need to ask about a friendship, is this relationship helping me grow? Am I becoming a stronger Christian? Is it pulling me from God, or is it pulling me towards God? When we look at friendship through the lens of Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we could say, wonderful, go for it. Friendship's a wonderful gift. But when you look at friendship through the lens of Genesis 3, it comes under a dark shadow, even a poison of sin. Everyone needs a friend. Jesus had friends, but friends can sometimes be dangerous. Think of Jesus' friend, Peter. He becomes the devil's ally. 
And Jesus gives him the strongest rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. The first Adam, if you compare the two Adams, the first Adam fell by his foolish listening to a friend. But the second Adam will not fall because of his severe rebuking of a friend. But there's a contrast, isn't there, between Genesis 2 and 3. The two best friends, Adam and Eve, were soaring to the highest heights of joy, delight, in Genesis 1 and 2, but now they are found sinking into the darkest depths of sin and rebellion. And they are running from God. Bitterness, anger, suspicion, blame shifting becomes the order of the day. The romance is gone. You just have to listen to Adam. He's not using pet names anymore. Honey dear, sweetheart, love of my life. No, probably with a sneer. The woman you gave me. You might remember how Genesis 2 concludes the nice, beautiful snapshot. Naked and unashamed. A beautiful note of intimacy. The brightest of smiles now turns into the darkest of frowns. They were naked and unashamed, but now fig leaves, finger pointing, tells the story of a friendship gone amok. Sin is a wrecking ball of marriages and friendships. And there's no guarantee that your best of friends today will be your best of friends tomorrow. The psalmist had that painful experience, didn't he? Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Sooner or later, we all feel or all get scars and wounds, relational scars and wounds. The shores are littered with shipwrecks of friends. And once you get hurt in a relationship, It's easy to pull back. People become cynical, afraid. Self-protection kicks in. But we need friends. One could even argue that you need friends more post-fall than pre-fall. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one. For if... They fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Yes, a friend can help us when we fall. A friend can help us in those times of weakness, vulnerability, and an hour of temptation. I've wondered this over the years, David and Jonathan's friendship if, if Jonathan had been alive, would David have ever fallen into that sin with Bathsheba? Jonathan very well could have picked up on David's compromises. David, you're going from wife to wife. David, 
You're going from concubine to concubine. You're losing the sharp edge of your conscience. A friend can sometimes pick up on the irregular patterns of the wayward backsliding steps. Maybe your friend at school or uh, your friend you worked with on a summer job and he taught it to tell you some of his struggles with lust, a particular young lady in his life, and he asked you for accountability. And it was going great for the first six months, but suddenly he's gone silent. He's not returning your phone calls. And as a good friend, you intervene and you say something, something's wrong. How's that situation going with that young lady friend? You see, a friend can ask those kinds of questions without being viewed as intrusive or rude. And if you have any understanding of your own heart, you will welcome a friend into your life and not be offended by probing questions. Because you need a Nathan-like friend. Faithful are the rebukes of a friend. We need friends. In light of the gracious gift of creation, we need friends. In light of the tragic fall into sin. Thirdly, this is the third major perspective. We need friends in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We need friends in light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to always bring the gospel into our relationships. The gospel is relational. It brings us back to God. It focuses upon a person named Jesus Christ, and the gospel has something to say about friendship. Jesus, going back to John 15, Jesus explains his love of friends by going to the cross. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And once you believe, we believe in Christ Jesus, we begin to live for Christ Jesus. We, we live that life of sanctification, that life of, of holiness. And to live that life, we need help. We need help from the triune God every step of the way. We need the help of his grace. We need his daily grace, his strengthening grace, his persevering grace, his forgiving grace but you also need help from God's people. And one of the reasons why God puts his people into a church with pastors to watch over their souls, Hebrews 13, and friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, is to come alongside and help them. Sanctification is a community project. Eighty commandments, one another commandments in your Bible. Eighty. Love one another, pray for one another, weep with one another, rejoice with one another. And just like Adam, in that creation story, he needed a helper on a human level, and you and I need helpers 
on a human level. We need spiritual friends, Christian friends who are aware of the dangers, friends who are aware of the struggles, friends who are aware that there's a devil on the prowl, friends who are aware that the world can shape us and mold us, Romans 12. And the best place to find friend like that is not at work, not at the local gym, not at the YMCA, but the local church. Friends who love Jesus and are becoming like Jesus. They are the friends who will help you and I to fight the fight. They are friends who will help you run the race. Have you heard of Tim Chelles? Anybody heard of Tim Chelles? Ay, ay, ay. Oh, one thing. He's a Canadian, by the way. One of the best blogs, in my opinion. Tim Chelles wrote a book called Run the Race. The Lifelong Pursuit of a Godly Man. He talks about three great disciplines. The disciplines of faith, the disciplines of life, and the disciplines of relationships. And under that third major category, the disciplines of relationships, one chapter is treasure your marriage. That's one of the disciplines. Another is nurture your children. That's another discipline. The third chapter on relationships is foster your friendships. And that's where he says this. One of the harmful lessons that young men have learned early in life is that they should be suspicious of relationships with other men. So they kind of told, avoid relational closeness because you don't want to seem needy and emotional. Relational intimacy doesn't coincide with the fact that men are to be strong, independent, and self-reliant. I think that explains why men typically, there are exceptions, typically have more problems having friends than women. They've absorbed the culture of the day. Afraid of relational closeness. You can't escape the great commandments of the Bible. Jesus says there are two great ones. You've got to love God and love your neighbor. There's a verse in Proverbs that I have used more times in my life, or thought, thought about more times in my life than any other proverb. You know what it is? Safety in a multitude of counselors. I could put it this way. Safety in a multitude of good, wise friends. Safety in a multitude of good, wise friends. You need wise counselors and you need faithful exhorters. We all need friends. I hope you're convinced of that. The doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the fall, and the doctrine of redemption. 
We need friends. We were never meant to go it alone. So let me just conclude with a few practical thoughts, okay? Number one, if we need friends and we're made for friends, the first word of application would be this. Cultivate them. If I need them, I, I, I need to make them. And the Bible doesn't assume that friendships just drop on your lap. You, you, you won't get a friendship like you get a chocolate bar out of a vending machine. Just press a button and there you have it. There's labor involved. Nothing good comes easy. So the first place to start is admit you need friends. The great church father Augustine said, two things are essential in this world, life and friendship. Both must be prized priced highly and not undervalued. And if you study, if you study the, the lives of the great men, whether it's Luther, whether it's Calvin, whether it's Jonathan Edwards, you will find that they all had friends. John Bunyan, he real Pilgrim's Progress, right? How did he make it to heaven? Well, God's grace, but he got friends, didn't he? Faithful, hopeful, and help. Second application. Pray to the sovereign God. Pray to the sovereign God who's in control of everything. He will help you by his grace to develop a friendship. Pray that he'll help you be a friend. Pray for friends. Pray for the gift of friendship. God loves to give. God loves to give good gifts to his friends. And why don't you ask your best friend, God, if he will give you good human friendships? Ask God to give that gift of a friend. Third application, take initiative. It's probably why some of you come to a conference like that. You're taking initiative. That's a good sign. God places himself, think of this, under the analogy of a friend, he was a friend of Moses, he was a friend of Abraham, Jesus puts himself under the analogy of a friend, and you and I would never have friendships with God unless God took initiative, right? He did some seeking. Jesus describes those parables, those seeking parables of that woman who seeks that lost coin and that man who seeks the lost sheep. God is a seeking God. Jesus is a seeking Savior. He sought us. He found us. And you and I must seek friends. We must regard friends as treasures that we must seek and find. Fourth application or counsel, don't make excuses. We're all good at blaming other people and circumstances when we don't have friends. In the aftermath of the fall, what did Adam do? He blamed God for his friend. We often blame God for not having friends. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say this to me. Not about our church. Maybe, maybe they have behind my back. I'm sure they have. It's not a very friendly place. No one reached out to me. No one talked to me. Well, why don't you just turn that around? What did you do? 
Did you talk to anybody? Did you initiate? Did you greet anybody? There's lots of reasons why people are friendless. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's selfishness. Sometimes it's ignorance. They really don't think they need friends. But we need to stand in front of the mirror and say, what sin is hindering me from having friends? The problem could be you. Sin is the major friend killer and inhibitor, whereas grace is the great friend initiator and stabilizer. Sin is the major friend killer and inhibitor, whereas grace is the great friend initiator and stabilizer. Fifth counsel Prize your friendships and protect them. Prize them, protect them. They are a treasure. Every good friendship will come under pressure. The pressure of busyness, even the perception of busyness has people pulling back from friendship. Every stage of life has its own challenges. The single life has its challenges. Married life has its challenges. When you get married and have children and have extracurricular activities for all your kids, the pressures of sickness and trials and difficulties, disappointments, old age has its challenges. But if you're convinced you need a friend, then you have to deal with those challenges. You have some work to do. And if you're still not convinced, then pray to God that he would convince you. Because the truth of the matter is you need friends. Spiritual health, physical health can jeopardize, be jeopardized. Your physical health can be jeopardized by your lack of friends. And if you don't believe me, let me just give you a chorus of voices. John Newton. There's no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. John Calvin, I think there has never been an ordinary circle of friends, he's talking about his own circle of friends, so sincerely loving each other as we have in our ministry. Jonathan Edwards, sometimes called the greatest American theologians, friendship is the highest happiness of all moral agents. J.C. Ryle, friendship halves my sorrows and doubles my joys. And those are not what you call ivory tower theologians. They are men who knew that personally and experientially. And maybe you sit here this morning and you're as lonely as lonely can be. Life is hard. It's hard for all of us. And and it only gets harder if you're all by yourself. But maybe there's another problem. 
and your lack of friendship points to a bigger problem. You've never made friends with God. You've never been reconciled to the cross of Jesus Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, here's what you need more than anything else. You, you don't need a human friend. You need the divine friend. You, you need a savior. He's the only person who can save you from your sin. No friend can do that. He's the only person who can deal with your greatest problems, and your greatest problem is sin. Your deepest, heaviest burdens are sin burdens. So you have to go to him because you need a savior. And when you take hold of him by faith, he becomes everything. He's a husband, a friend, the good shepherd, the sympathetic high priest, the wonderful counselor, the great physician who will give rest for your soul. There's no greater friend than Jesus. And he'll never, never disappoint you. He'll never fail you. He keeps all of his promises what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again call upon you and ask you to be gracious and kind and merciful to all of these young people who are sitting here this morning we would pray, Lord, that what they have heard with their ears might find a lodging place in their hearts. We pray, Lord, that they would learn the importance of friendship and they would do all they can possibly do from the human side of things to have friends, to maintain those friends, friendships that would help them to run that race, friendships that would help them to fight that fight, Friendships that would help them become more like your son, Jesus. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.